0: We have a physical brain, which we all know, which is that functional brain and the intellectual side of your brain. And then you have this emotional brain, and that's actually what's running your show.
1: Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money mamas. Hey, 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 I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan and Mamas. Today on the show, I'm joined by Rini Cavallari, author of six books, including her most recent release, Head Trash. Rini is the CEO of Aspire, a globally awarded leadership development training and consulting form, and the RCI Institute, an awakening human potential research and development lab. She is recognized as an organizational anthropologist and has been working with leaders as well as speaking around the globe for over 25 years. Today, we're going to talk about head trash, how to identify what's holding you back, and how to unlock your potential. Before we get started, a quick reminder that you can find the complete show notes for this episode at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 122. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey there, Reenie. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama show. It's so nice to be here, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I just read your new book, Head Trash, and I really enjoyed it. And so to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about your career and and what you do?
0: I started a company called Powered by Aspire actually 26 years ago, which is crazy. Uh, On behalf of all the mamas that are listening, I was the primary parent, a single mom, and balance and all that was really important to me. My company does work all over the world and all of that stuff. But what's really, I think, most important to your listeners is the chance that I really made sure in my mind that I understood that I was building a company that would serve my life, not my life serving my company so that I could have the kind of life I wanted. And our work does, um, we do training and leadership development and cultural strategic work for companies all over the globe.
1: Awesome. And so what did that balance look like for you, especially early on in the business where I know it can be really all consuming to be starting a business?
0: I was lucky. I was probably hmm, about, Ooh, maybe five, six years into the business. I didn't have quite that kind of effort. Like I had some runway and uh, just to be clear, But I would tell you that I went through the same things I think all mamas go through. Your hair's on fire. You're trying to just be relatively competent at everything. It was tricky at times, but it was also owning a business really allowed me the flexibility to decide how I was going to spend my time if I wanted to take on more customers. And I deliberately kept the company boutique for many, many years, because it served my life. And that allowed us to just do the work we loved versus trying to feed the machine all the time.
1: And how old are your kids now?
0: I have one a daughter, her name is Bella, and she's 20. And then I also, through marriage, have a daughter who is, uh, I'll just say 30 something, because she's now getting to that place. Allison, and we have a grandson, Greg, our son-in-law. So...
1: That is beautiful. And so I'm always curious with kids who were raised in entrepreneurial households, does your daughter have interest in running her own business? What is she doing for work as she comes out of college?
0: She is attending ASU and going off to college. She's studying entrepreneurialism and fashion. So, yes, and she has her first internship. And her internship is in working for an entrepreneur as well as fashion. So She got the bug for myself and for my ex-husband, who is an amazing entrepreneur and an author as well. You know, she kind of has been fumbling with that. She Actually, just recently, she and her father bought a big gumball machine. Remember the, I don't know if you remember, but they're those big gumball machines, like huge. And she bought it years and years and years ago. And she just put it out in front of this store, like said to me the other day you can't believe how many quarters I'm making. So you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic.
0: And then she told me that the sun was baking and just drying some of the product. And I said, now you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What I love about entrepreneurship for kids and especially in young adults is that it's so much problem solving, right? It's basically just creative problem solving over and over again until you find what works, and so it's such a good exercise, even for kids who don't end up becoming full time entrepreneurs as adults.
0: I think you're right. You know, for our brains to be able to solve problems effectively, it's just good in every way because we just get better and better at processing, and therefore then in the bigger challenges of life, we've got some good traction on that skill set.
1: So your new book is called Head Trash, which I think some of us have heard that term before, but what does head trash mean to you?
0: Head trash is the negative little nasty voices in your brain that are undermining you and they're never serving you, except maybe a little bit to get out of it. But they really are the disconnected side of your emotional brain and they limit you. What
1: do you mean the disconnected side of your emotional brain?
0: We have a physical brain, which we all know, which is that functional brain and the intellectual side of your brain. And then you have this emotional brain. And that's actually what's running your show. Inside that emotional brain, there are two sides. There's the disconnected side and the connected side. The disconnected side is where that head trash lives. And that head trash can go anywhere from creating feelings of anxiety and fear and worry and full blown panic. And when we're over on that side, we can even have challenges with breathing. We can have certainly challenges with thinking that tape goes over and over and over and we get stuck in the stuff over on the connected side of the emotional brain. That's where our creativity lives, our collaboration, our ability to think clearly And to really problem solve is over there. So the problem is on the disconnected side. The solution is on the connected side of the emotional brain. And that's where all our joy is. The happiness is over on that connected side. Peace is over on that connected side. So the goal of life is to spend as much time as possible on the connected side of your emotional brain.
1: We obviously want to move from those disconnected thoughts to those connected thoughts. But first step. How do we identify what some of those disconnected thoughts are that have been running through our brains and keeping us from kind of what our big goals are?
0: Throughout our lives, we have imprints, right? We have experiences and things that kind of live in that disconnected side. And sometimes they, you know, they come back at us. And so we have a belief that we feel really certain about and we hang on to that and it creates this limitation. When we understand that the limitations are really the only thing that are holding us back because we feel the way we think, our thoughts, when we can get our thoughts in the right space, we're unstoppable. Our potential becomes huge. But when our thoughts are limited, when our thoughts are fear-based or on experiences that may have been important in the past, but how we look at those experiences, we can look at them as self-destructive or we can look at them and have them be empowering. We have to make that switch in our brain. And there's proactive ways of doing that. And also reactive ways like as when we're in the throes of something. It really is that brain is got a lot of brain power. And unfortunately, we use it as a storage tank sometimes. And we store things in there that maybe don't serve us.
1: Reactive is going to be more probably when we're in stress and trauma, right? When we realize we just can't do this anymore and we have to switch. What are some of the proactive ways, though, that once we're becoming aware of what those imprints are, those thoughts are, that we can consciously decide to make these changes?
0: It's about habits. Proactively, in the book, I reference 29 ways, but there are literally hundreds of ways that you can proactively build muscle. And I want to step back. I want you to think about exercise. We exercise the body so we have stamina and strength to when we need it. That's the point of it. The same thing is true when we are working on our emotional brain proactively. We're building the strength and stamina to draw on when we need it. Things like meditation for myself, I can speak. Like I wake up, I meditate, I journal because it's a proactive way for me to put myself in the connected side of my emotional brain versus if I just turn on the TV and see all the crazy news and all the things that are happening that are just mind blowing or depressing, et cetera, It puts me in a different mindset. So then when I sit down, whether it's I'm making breakfast for my family, or I'm doing my career work, it doesn't matter. My mindset will decide how I look at the challenges that come at me. So if I set my mindset up, right, I'm a more likely to be able to really find my way through the day's events that aren't always pleasant. It's not like we can eliminate the day's events, but you know how it is. You know when you're tired and you go to the grocery store and then you're in the checkout line and there's that person who's been standing in the checkout line in front of you and they, they don't get you their credit card out to pay. And there's all these people. And because you're tired, you look at it, right? You're in the disconnected side and you get annoyed with it. It doesn't impact that person. It just impacts you. So you've got all this like, oh my God, you know, you can't get your credit card out. What's wrong with you? You know, you you have to pay. Why are you holding up the line? You're so inconsiderate. Like you go all nuts where if you're in a different mindset, you might not even notice that. Or if you notice it, you chuckle and go, whoa, that's interesting, You just experience life differently when you can really put yourself in that proactive space. And that's why, like, sometimes you'll hear people say it's really important to breathe a couple times throughout the day. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but it actually clears the mind. You know, it just goes,
1: just take a moment. Take a moment. (laughs) I don't know in your work, I'm assuming it's very similar, Rini, but for us, sometimes we get people who come to us and they want to improve their money situation and we encourage them to talk about mindset and they're like, we don't want to deal with that. Like, just give us the tools. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me the systems, but I don't want to work on the mindset part. When you work with people who are trying to get professional advancement, how do you get them to look inward and really work on this emotional side of mindset? Mindset is the greatest predictor of success.
0: And we tell our clients that all the time. Actually, the RCI Institute, which is the think tank, we work with real human beings, real leaders, real moms, real people doing all kinds of different jobs to help them improve performance, because that's actually what Aspire's role is. We work with, they hire us to improve performance. There's three things that we've identified. We actually call it the competency model, excuse me. The competency model has three things for anyone to be competent at something. First and foremost is mindset. So you have to have the right mindset to be able to achieve the outcome. Second is skill set. And third is process set. The challenge that you face when people are coming to you to, hey, I want to make more money. I want my money to leverage and and, have some velocity to it. Yet their mindset is, but I can't lose any money, but I don't want to take any risk, or I want to take a ton or whatever that mindset is, it has to align with their objectives. And then that's how you can say, okay, here are the skills that you need to you know, work on, or here's the processes that we take. A lot of times it's ironic because we'll work with clients and they'll say, well, we want sales training. Or we want customer service training. And we say, absolutely, we can do that. But there's three parts to the training. There's mindset first. There's skill set second. And then there's the processes that allow you the constant and never-ending improvement as well as success. It is an important part of that. We can tell what degree of success a person can have based on where their mindset is every time. It's like an open book.
1: That's so funny about the wanting sales training. We talk about that internally as as a company a lot is that people will come and say, teach me how to budget, teach me how to invest. And we have to like, okay, but let's pull back first. Like, Let's start with with, with mindset. In the book, Head Trash, you had four big lies that our disconnected emotional brain is telling us. And I'd love to talk through those because I think, at least in my experience, when people start to do mindset work... Sometimes they struggle to identify what those narratives were. And so I think having a sense of maybe what some of these common stories that we're telling ourselves um, might help people get a little bit more internally. So the first one was, I must be right. Can you talk to me about why that's a big lie? I just
0: want to say, Chelsea, these four big lies, we only have one. When the RCI Institute, we've been studying this for 20 some years, we only have one. So when we're in the connected side of our brain, we don't have a big lie none of the lies live there. Just one lives on that disconnected side. So the person who has the, I must be right when it hits the fan, when something goes South, and that's where you want to think of your big lie, they dig in and they are right. They are analytical. They are telling you exactly what's wrong. They are absolutely certain of what is right. And they are unmovable from this. And they can't hear very well because, why should they listen? They already know they're right. That's what happens when, they're, when their big lie turns on.
1: So if that's your big lie, right? You're a person who's an I must be right person. What are some strategies to catch that and pull you back to the connected side of your brain before you kind of really dig your heels in?
0: Well, first of all, you have to know which lie is your lie, because what I'm about to share is the same for all four big lies. Once you know, so I'm an I must never lose. I know this about myself. That's big lie number two. I must never lose. That means that I, when something, when I'm up against something, I'm going, 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 and I can't stop. Like I've got to win. And if you're either helping me win or you're not, you don't exist to me. You're dead to me. You're, inc- I'm inconsiderate, etc. So knowing it is the first part of being able to get out of it. So when you know you've triggered it, you can own it and then you can shift it. That's really when you can say, okay, you can start asking yourself questions like, who do I want to be right now? Because when I dig in, who I'm being is not exactly my best self. You can also ask questions like, okay, what matters most? Or if you're an I must be right, you can say, okay, what is wrong about this? And it'll shift you out of it, out of that tape of, that you're holding on to. But a lot of times, you know, we just have to step back and open our mind and start to just say, okay, this is what's right here. This is what's gapping here. And then, okay, what else, what other perspectives can I get? When we're shifting from the disconnected to the connected, it's about asking the right kind of questions. That's all you have to do when you're in the reactive mode.
1: That takes some presence of mind and some practice. It's a habit as well, right? Being self-aware. Do you have a strategy for like teaching yourself to pause and ask those questions?
0: Well, I think the book really is about that. It's about your self-awareness because the book attempts to help you self-reflect first because when we self-reflect, we can become self-aware and we start to see, ooh, that was a pretty destructive behavior. I better go clean that up. We all have our moments. When we become self-aware, we can own them and then let them go versus carry them around. I think the best thing about being self-aware is that when someone is objecting to you, to something that you're saying, that it's not about you. It's just a different perspective. When we stop and just go, instead of going in for it, like usually we go in to defend or we go into, we're going to change your thinking. That belief, like you have to let that go. I think once you have a baby, or once you have a child, you start to understand like, oh, I can't really control their mind. I can control in the early years their time. I can even control some of who they spent their time with. But over time, I have a 20-year-old daughter. There is nothing I'm controlling. What you really need to do is create an opening with people so that you can just say, what can I control? I control my own perspective. If I want to get into this muck, then I'm going to experience muck. But if I can just get over to the other side, I can experience a solution. You see, when we decrease our emotional stress, we can increase our productive action. But that only happens. So you decrease your your emotional stress by getting over to the connected side. And therefore, now you can increase your productive action. I also think that when you really start to understand that all it is, is your thoughts, then like, it's just my thought. You know, my thought is that my husband should take out the trash, you know, or whatever that (laughs) thing is, right. That just makes you nuts at home that yes. Okay. Well, so how do I, how do I go about this in life? It's that yin and yang thing. So if I'm going like this, I'm not going to get what I want. It never works. We know that we just don't do that.
1: Can you just give us the big lies three and four just so for people who are trying to identify maybe where they sit?
0: Big lie. Number one was, I must, I must be right. Big lie number two is I must never lose. Big lie number three is everyone must love me. And big lie number four is I must always feel comfortable. Everyone must love me is they're the love bug over the top people pleasers. Now I am a people pleaser by nature, but when I'm on that disconnected side, I am not a people pleaser. I am a must, I must never lose. So with the everyone must love me, their need for connection Is everything to them. Like they feel death if they feel like they're going to lose connection with someone in a difficult situation. So a lot of times for them, they overcompromise and then they resent that, of course, later because we've overcompromised and overcompromised and now we have a new pattern of relationship. The fourth one I must uh, feel comfortable is really this need for no chaos. Everything has to be comfortable. Everything has to be at peace. They're very changed. That can be very change resistant in their nature. Actually, even listening to this will make them feel uncomfortable. Like why are we labeling people? What does this mean? It's uncomfortable. They actually have to sit with it. But what happens with the, I must be comfortable is that they don't tend to speak out because they just want, they just want everything to be comfortable no chaos. And then they hold that in and then they explode. They go postal. Everyone is going, oh my gosh, I thought everything was okay. And it was not okay. It's really, and the beauty of this isn't to label someone else. It's to know thyself first. Also, when I understand what your big lie is, Chelsea, then I can be supportive of you. I know that we both have to be on the connected side.
1: And so you talk about this in the book, but how much of this can we just explain is related to fear and childhood, like those imprint early fears, and maybe trauma that happened in the past? How much of this is like, we're going into defensive mode?
0: Our fears are just the imprints of our life. Those imprints, those experiences, they become our beliefs. So our beliefs define our thoughts. That's to say 100% of it is based on fear, because fear is the ultimate emotion of reaction, right? We get into fight and flight. It is really when our beliefs are defining our thoughts and our thoughts aren't healthy thoughts, your thoughts are what are going to decide how you feel about something.
1: So you meditate, like you said, every morning, right? Anything else that you do to kind of make sure you are consciously dictating your choice of thoughts? Do you journal? Do you have other habits that make you keep those things top of mind?
0: Absolutely. This morning, I Meditated, and I personally do a 10 minute guided meditation because I got too many people talking in my brain. I need someone else to be (laughs) directing the traffic. Yeah, directing, (laughs) and then I journal and then I do my yoga. My husband knows the difference when I do and when I don't. That's kind of my morning routine. Then I definitely take a couple of breaks throughout the day where it's only two minutes because I'm a total type A crazy woman, probably like all of your crazy listeners. So I like, oh, take a 10 minute, da, da, da. I, I that's not my thing, but I take deep breaths. When I have something that does come up that really has ticked me off or I'm bummed out or whatever that emotion is, that's when I'll take, honestly, I'll take a walk. I'll step away because I, getting my endorphins back moving, like I can walk really fast and get all that angst out of me so that I have some clarity. And that's what those 29 things are about. It's like to clear it away so you can have clarity and not just react. Because when I have clarity on the disconnected side of my emotional brain, it usually means I'm saying I'm sorry to someone later. <laughs>
1: absolutely. And you mentioned earlier too, like knowing first about introspection, but then knowing the big lies of the people around you can help you kind of both focus on that connected side. So I was thinking about relationships, right? And so when I read the book, I know my big lie is I need everyone to love me. And then my husband's is I want to be comfortable, right? And so both of us, as we read this book, I was talking to him about it, like, both of us don't want to address things that are wrong. Because we're like, I'm like, I just need him to not be mad at me. And he's like, I just don't want anything to change, right? And so that can end up being an issue at times, right? It it builds and builds. And so, but like, then once you see it, you can kind of identify it. So have you found like having that accountability, having this conversation, do you know what your husband's big lie is? Like, do you guys kind of call each other out of like, hey, it seems like you might need a second to reconnect.
0: Yes, my husband, my daughter, one of my closest business associates, they're all I must be comfortable. It's like the universe said, Reni, you're going to have to learn how to deal with this kind, this kind of uh, big lie couple of tips. One thing that my husband and I do um, or strive to do on a weekly basis is we sit down, we schedule it. So we put ourselves in a position to have to do it because remember when everything is good, I just want to be loved. None of that matters. So when you have a scheduled time to talk and we ask four questions, one is what is working between us? Two is what is not working between us? Three is how are we financially in terms of in exchange with the financial dynamic, because financial dynamics are so stressful on our relationships, all relationships. And then the, the fourth question that we ask is, what's our upcoming schedules? Because that allows everyone to have appropriate expectations, because my schedule tends to be nuts. You know, I'm in the middle of the, you know, the book went, you know, number one, it's very, very busy. And so I don't want to have guilt. And he wants to know when he gets to have his, have some attention, rightfully so. That has helped us to be able to, but you have to find, I think it's easier to create. Remember how I said, it's just about habits. When you can create healthy habits, when things are positive, then When things go a little, so all of a sudden you ask the question, so what's not working? And it's easier to say it because you have a time and place to say it versus upheaval.
1: I love that you guys have that finance piece in your weekly meeting, right? Obviously here we do that as well. I'm just curious from your money mindset perspective, maybe some of your head trash related to money, what is something you've had to work on to feel more financially comfortable?
0: I had a lot of financial head trash. I even address it in the book with food stamps. I don't know if you recall that story, but being a working class kid, I knew that I wanted financial freedom. I didn't know what that meant. I thought it meant making money, get a job, have security, make money. Then I somehow had this entrepreneurial thing in me, which was really interesting since none of that really existed in my family. What ended up happening for me is I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it awoke me, you know, and I think this is a great thing about money in general is that and learning in general, I should say, when we learn, we expand how we think about things, whether we agree with the book or disagree with the book, it gives us, us other things to consider. And that really woke me up to my identity with money, because I'm not personally, I'm not motivated by money. Now, what money does for me is create security. I am very motivated by that. So understanding, that goes back to what you said earlier, Chelsea, is that for your listeners, like understand the why behind the want. Just wanting something doesn't make it happen. But when you have a why connection to it, it gives you that motivation. I started looking at money. Um, I remember my ex-husband showed me my closet one day. And I'm embarrassed to say this, but I am happy to share it. And I had 100 black shoes. 100 pair of black shoes. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you can only wear one pair at a time, right? I remember looking at it and thinking, now, don't get me wrong, I still have a lot of shoes, but they're not all black. <laughs> <laughs> but the point was, when I started looking at money, and understanding that it's a vehicle to freedom for me, then I started to see it differently. We've really worked hard to have healthy beliefs with Bella, our daughter, to understand, like, buy things that you love. You know, she said to me the other day, do you like this outfit that I bought? And I said, well, do you like it? And she goes, well, I think so. And I said, so you don't love it? And she said, well, I guess no. And I, so why are you buying it? Is it a necessity? Because some things are a necessity. So you take care of the necessities first. I think for me, I wanted out of the worry about money. Now, I still secretly wonder, you know, will I be a bag lady someday? It's completely ridiculous, but it comes from that imprint.
1: But there's actually research about that, like that specific phrasing, which I'm sure you've come across. There's actually studies that as women gain more wealth, we actually worry more about becoming a bag lady than we did when we were. And it h- ties to a lot of societal narratives about women being incapable of managing money. And so that there is some teeny seed of head trash that it's all, you know, the whole imposter syndrome thing of like the other shoe is going to drop and I'm, I'm going to screw something up or the world is going to realize that I don't deserve this money and it's going to disappear. It's actually not weird. It's something we hear all the time, but it's just that we have to, it's something we have to deal with, right. And recognize that like we do have security and we do, we are aligning our money with our choices and things like that. So You are not alone in that thought process. (laughs) Wow.
0: That is actually, there's some kind of weird comfort in that information for me. (laughs) Because I, now is it a constant? No. And do I know that it's pretty ridiculous? Yes. But it is out there. And so, you know, I actually look at my assets. Like I look at my assets and say, okay, well, if something fails, here we go. You know, like I, that's how... And I think that's important from what you do, which is the diversification piece. How are all these pieces coming together versus having everything in one bucket? And in life, one bucket, it puts a lot more pressure. So how do you decrease the pressure around money? To me is how I look at money. Going back to those healthy questions, what can I do to improve how my money is working? That is a healthy question versus What happens if I run out of money? Unhealthy question, but the same idea. The quality of our life is really about the quality of those questions that we ask based on, getting back to what you originally asked, the fears we have.
1: 100%. As you get closer to your connected brain and you're focusing, you're dealing with some of this head trash, do you have any success stories from Aspire of what people were able to achieve once they dealt with some of that mindset and really started to to move forward?
0: Oh, we have thousands of stories because we work with real people every single day. We have salespeople who have far exceeded their quotas, who were worried about losing their job when we started working with them. We have people who work in the hospitality industry who are housekeepers, who have a completely different perspective, what their work means, because they don't look at it as, I clean dirty toilets for a living. They look at it as, I help people enjoy their vacation or I make travel easy through having a clean room. And then, of course, there's the economic ones, which we have clients like Best Western. When we first started working with them, they were number 11 of 13 in J.D. Power. And now they're number one, two, and three of their, all their brands. So there are big examples that are company but the ones that touch my heart, the ones that keep me going, are the individual ones. And that, because you know, you might be working with a group of fifty salespeople or fifty people doing whatever they're doing, operations people. But when they start to, lo- when you love what you're doing, everything else gets a lot easier. And when you have the mindset where you find your connection of what you love around what you do, so you have pride in it or it feels good for you everything changes. And then you're open to learning more. You see, when we hate something, we're not really interested in learning more. I mean, that's not exactly news. You don't have to research that, but we still don't live like that. We just drudge through it.
1: So Reini, any last pieces of advice for people who are just starting this journey, who want to work on their own head trash?
0: I think the first thing is to know that you are not alone. Just like you said to me, about the bag lady thing. And I was like, wow, you you know, you, your listeners couldn't see my face, but I was like, okay. <laughs> Thank God, <laughs> my secret is no longer a secret. I think first is that when we understand, that's part of why I wrote the book with so many personal stories. It's, hey, look, you know, we may look successful. We may, we look at other people and see whatever we think they are, but they're equally a big old mess. And we're all working towards how to have more peace in our life, right? We're all working towards how to have more joy. Ultimately, that's what success is. So I think first understand that, yes, okay, it's there too, that you can control it when you learn how to own it, shift it, and then dump it. That's critical. And that your ongoing, you know, the things that you do in your life, there are habits that you need to look at, habits to keep, habits to add, and habits to get rid of. Like for me, social media, I watch what I'm reading, et cetera, on social media, because it is not enhancing my life and it's sucking my time of which I have none to begin with. I look at that as a habit and I watch out on that. I think those are just a couple of things that, you know, I'd suggest Uh, there's probably a lot more in the book.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll link the book in the show notes. But before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mamas sorting hat. So the Sorting Hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical Hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Okay. What is your favorite thing that you spent money on in the last year? My favorite
0: thing that I spent money on in the last year. Honestly, I would say that my favorite thing would be the things that I've been doing with my friends and family so much. We've been just spending money and giving gifts of when people were maybe out of work, uh, that here's a $500 gift card so you don't have to worry. Or Honestly, I think it's like the taking care is the my favorite way of spending my money. That's how I get joy that I can give it. I know that sounds so cliche. That's why I hesitated because it's like, I want to say something materialistic, but I just haven't been, okay, maybe wine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But no, that's a beautiful thing, right? The joy of giving and the ability, having the financial stability to be generous, especially in a time of crisis that so many families have been in over the last year. And so, That is an excellent answer. Rini, where can people follow up with you and buy your book?
0: You can buy my book on Amazon. You can also go to myheadtrash.com backslash VIP. So you can buy the book at myheadtrash.com. The most important part about the backslash VIP is there's nothing to it. You're not getting slammed with all kinds of stuff, but it opens the door to lots of free access to tools. There's a big live test that is posted on there so that you can do your test There's all kinds of resources. We're constantly updating from RCI, some findings, and we're also putting all kinds of audio on there, yourself included. So we try and just, that entire site is really for people to find tools that will help them decrease their head trash
1: and have more joy.
0: So you can also reach me at at myheadtrash.com,
1: R-E-N-I-E. Awesome. Mamas, we will link all of that in the show notes. Rini, thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. Thank you. Mamas, Rini has done such incredible research on leadership, teams, and human potential. With how much we talk about money mindset here, you know how much head trash can get in the way of our success in whatever arena. I hope today's conversation gave you some tips on how to rework those thought patterns. Now, as always, I've wrapped up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Rini so you can start unlocking your full potential. First, set your mindset to what you're doing. Prepare for the type of work, conversations, or experiences you're going to have in your day. That can mean meditating, resting, mentally preparing. For example, you might be overjoyed coming out of the gym from that time working your body, but if you don't reset before heading into the office, which requires a completely different mindset, you might suddenly find yourself in a funk and wonder what happened. Build a practice of giving yourself a moment to prepare yourself mentally for each activity especially when you have to do something that's new or difficult. Second, remember that having all the skills won't matter if your mindset isn't right. Rini laid out in the competency model that to succeed, you need to first evaluate and set your mindset, then learn the skills you need, and then put the processes in place to use those skills. This comes up all the time with money. Someone reaches out to us and they just want us to teach them how to budget. They tell us they've tried before, but it never works. Do we have a system that works for them? The problem is, it's not the system. The reason their last few attempts at budgeting failed is almost always a mindset issue. A belief that they were bad with money or that people who were successful spent money in a certain way. You name it. So don't rush past the mindset work when you're trying to unlock your potential in any area of your life. And finally, third, know your big lie so you can own it and shift your mindset when it rears its head. As a reminder, the four big lies are, one, I must be right, two, I must never lose, three, everyone must love me, four, I must always be comfortable. Similar to money mindset work, discovering your big lie is going to take some introspection. We all have moments of some of these thoughts, but we have one that's dominant. Keep them in mind and start to see patterns in your own thoughts. As you identify your primary big lie, you'll be able to choose healthier thoughts that carry more truth and let yourself move to the next level. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Rini again for coming on the show. For links to her book, Head Trash, and her site, Aspire, head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 122. Keep talking money mama. I'll see you next time.